You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Paragold, a church committed to making the real Jesus known to every man, woman, and child. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagold.com. Again, welcome. Uh, Glad to have you with us this morning. So Acts chapter 11 is where we're going to be. As we pick back up in our series through the book of Acts, and in case you have not been with us, um, or you just need a refresher, in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus got up out of the grave conquering sin, death, and hell, he told his disciples that upon his ascension back into heaven that he was going to send them his Holy Spirit to empower them to live as his sent ones, as witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, while around 120 of Jesus' followers were hiding out in a room together, we read in verse 2 that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and the entire house was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then immediately... As a result of this, what we see happen is these cowardly, impossibly slow-witted disciples would go from being fearful to fearless. And in the power of the Spirit, what we've been seeing is that they would perform signs and wonders. They would begin to preach the good news of Jesus wherever they go. And therefore, despite persecution, despite opposition, uh, because the gospel cannot be contained, because it is like a wildfire uh, that no matter how hard the enemies of the gospel try to stomp it out, it continues to spread. And what we see is that actually within 300 years, think about this, within 300 years, what started with just 120 Christians in Jerusalem would grow to 25 million Christians throughout the empire. That's a fact. And as a result, the world, including people like you and me, would never be the same. And one of the reasons we launched this series is because what we want you to know is that if you are unhappy about the world as it is, if you look at the world and you realize that it is broken, that it is not yet as it should be, whether it be because of the rise of anxiety and depression or the loneliness epidemic or corruption in politics or the breaking down of the family or whatever else, We really believe that if God can do an extraordinary work through a group of ordinary people like this in the first century, that he can do the same kind of work today through people like you and me. Because the God of Acts is the same God that we see today, we believe that he is able to use everyday normal people to transform the world around us, or at the very least, to transform the cities that we live in. And if you are here right now and you're thinking, yeah, 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 that's just preacher talk. You're trying to get us all amped up or whatever else. Or if you're here and when I say that, you, you really don't believe it. Maybe you sit here and you say, well, I believe God could use this kind of person or that person. But there's no way God could ever use someone like me. Well, I want you to know that Acts chapter 11 exists for you. Because in Acts chapter 11, what we're about to see is we're about to get a glimpse into the greatest gospel movement a city has ever known that resulted in the birthing of the greatest church the world has ever known. And here's what's incredible to me. I've read Acts so many times, I've preached through Acts, but I never noticed this. What's incredible to me is when we come to Acts chapter 11, we are going to find that because the people who started this great move of God, because they are so normal and because they are so ordinary, We don't even know who they are. In fact, 
The only thing we know about these people who are a part of this mighty move of God is that the Bible refers to them simply as them. So I want to read this to you. Acts chapter 11, we're going to read verse 19 through verse 30. And if again, if you're here and you find yourself just kind of going through the motions of life, you're just settling for the status quo, or you're just drifting through life with no real purpose, right? No real sense that God could ever do anything significant in you. Um, this passage is for you today. Acts chapter 11, we're going to read verse 19 through verse 30. Can those of you in the back, can you see these TVs? Kind of, sort of. Yeah, he's doing this. Okay, all right. Um, Acts 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of, what's the word? Them. Very good. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke of the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with who? Them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. This report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted who? Them. Very good. He exhorted them to all remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So here we have a church in Antioch that I would say is the most significant church the world has ever known. And I would say this quickly for three reasons. One, this is a very significant church because this is the first church that made the gospel known to the Gentiles. And if you're like, well, why in the world does that matter? Let me just ask you this. How many of you in here, and I want you to raise your hand, how many of you were born a Jew? You're Jewish by birth. Raise your hand. I can't see anybody. Anybody in here? Okay, nobody. What that means is that every single person in this room, for us, we cannot trace our faith back to the church in Jerusalem, but we trace our faith back to this church here in Antioch. Because these were the first people who said, you know what, rather than just taking the gospel to God-fearing Jews, we're going to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to the pagans, to the non-Jews, to those who were considered the last, the least, and the lost of society. And as a result of this, today... People like you and me have access to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that to me means this church is pretty significant. Another reason this church is significant is because they served as the launching pad for the Apostle Paul's ministry. We've talked about this before, but if you're new to the Bible, it's worth noting that the Apostle Paul wrote more books of the New Testament than anyone else. He is also considered to be the greatest single missionary the world has ever known next to Jesus. But when we come to Acts chapter 11, right, what we see is before Paul is Paul, he's Saul. 
And in Acts 11, verse 25, we see that Saul is still in Tarsus, which means whenever Saul was radically converted in Acts chapter 9, he goes to the church in Jerusalem. They say, that's great. We thank God for his work in your life, but they didn't know what to do with him. So what did Saul do? He just went back home. And it wasn't until this church in Antioch that Barnabas went to Saul and grabbed him and brought him to Antioch that within about a year later, the leaders of Antioch would lay their hands on him and then send him out on his great missionary journey. It's, again, a significant church. A final reason I would say this church is significant is because they were the first church-planting church. They were the first church that understood that you don't measure health by addition but by multiplication. You don't measure health, and we didn't know this as a church. Health of a church is not measured by how many people you get in seats, but by the number of disciples that begin to spread out into the streets to take the gospel forward. And this is the first church that understood this. So clearly, this is a significant church. And yet, here's what I want you to realize this morning. Despite the fact that they had this massive, eternal impact in the lives of millions upon millions of people, When it comes to knowing who started this movement, we have no names, no accolades, not even a mention or a shout out by the Apostle Paul to these people in one of the 13 books that he would go on to write. As I began to think about that this past week, I started thinking about how whenever I was in fifth grade, and I've shared this before, but despite being what I thought was the best basketball player or one of the best basketball players in our grade, I didn't make the team. And I remember one moment where I was sitting in the stands and I was watching the cheerleaders cheer on my friends as they played together and they won together and they traveled together. And I remember as a fifth grader sitting there and just feeling so overlooked and so insignificant. And I remember just kind of making a pack right there. And even 25 years later, I still find myself doing this thinking, I need to do whatever I can to make sure I get noticed. And to do whatever I can to make sure that no one overlooks me. And as I began to think about that this past week in light of this church in Antioch, I felt the Spirit ask me a question. And maybe he's asking you the question today, but it's this question of, are you okay with making much of Jesus, even if it means that you'll go unnoticed? Are you okay with getting more people to look at Christ, even if it means that less and less people look at you? The reality is there has never been a church that has had a bigger impact than this church in Antioch. But when we come to Acts 11, we don't get the names of any of the people who kicked this thing off. We just get them. And though we may not know a lot about these people, what I want you to notice this morning is four characteristics, four attributes that led them to having such an incredible impact. And here's the thing. What I want you to realize today is this, okay? You and I may never be a Paul. Uh, We may never be a Peter or a John, or a more modern, right? You may never be a Billy Graham or a Matt Chandler. We may never be some sort of Christian celebrity, but we really can be them. We can be a group of ordinary people who are used by God in extraordinary ways. And I want to show you how, as we walk back through this text, and listen, this is going to be really cheesy, okay? But I'm going to use the acrostic, them, to help you remember these four things this morning that cause these ordinary people to be used by God in extraordinary ways. And therefore, right, four practical things that if we will apply to our lives, will allow God to use us in significant ways as well, no matter who you are, where you come from. So the first thing we see in our passage is this. In Acts chapter 11, we see 
that the reason God used them in such extraordinary ways is because they took, and there's my T, they took God's mission personally. In verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and to Antioch. The word that is used here for scattered is the verb that is used in a passive tense, which means that the people who are in Antioch, they're not there because anything happened, because they have done anything, but they're there rather because something has been done to them. In other words, the only reason these people are in Antioch The only reason we see them in Antioch is because that is where life took them. Stephen, as you know, in Acts chapter 7, is murdered for preaching the gospel, which as a result leads these Christians to running for their lives until, by God's eternal design, they find themselves in the city of Antioch. And because, listen, because they truly believe that they were Jesus' witnesses, Because they truly believed they were missionaries, that they are sent ones. When they were scattered, they became like salt, shaken out of a salt shaker for the sake of making Jesus known wherever they went. And so when life took them to Antioch, they believed that it was God who planted them there, and that if God planted them there, then God planned to use them there. Now, why does this matter? Because the question I want you to consider this morning is this. Where is it that God has you right now? Where does God have you in this season of life? In other words, the question I want you to consider is, why do you live where you live? Why do you work where you work? Why do you, well, Jared, I'll tell you why, man, because I worked really hard, man, because I went to school. I got an education. Or no, for some of you, maybe it's because I've made bad decisions, but because I, 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 you know, because of consequences in my life, that's why I am where I am. No, according to Acts seventeen twenty six, the Bible is clear. You live where you live, you work where you work, because God has put you there for the sake of mission. The reason that you are where you are is to live as an ambassador for Jesus. If you have truly been saved, you have been sent on a mission. According to 1 Peter chapter 2, if you have given your life to Christ, you are now a part of a royal priesthood. You know what that means? Who are the ministers in this room today? All of us. If you are a child of God, if you are following Jesus, you are a minister of the gospel who has been called to take people around you who are far from God to now be in in a close relationship with God. And please hear me, if that is true, and it is, here's what this means, and please hear me. You are the best person to reach people around you. You are. Not me. Not another pastor, not some super spiritual Christian. You are, by God's design, the best person to reach the people around you. And therefore, because of that, we need to be a people who take God's mission personally. You don't just leave it to the pastors. You don't just leave it to those who are the missional community leaders. We all have a mission to take personally. That's one of the reasons we see the church in Antioch had such a profound impact. Another reason that we see that God used them to make such an impact is because, and here's the H, they had gospel conversations. Notice how upon being scattered by the persecution that according to verse 19 and verse 20, it said those who were scattered went about speaking the word and preaching the Lord Jesus. In other words, 
Despite the fact these people have been told to shut up and to stop talking about Jesus, lest they be murdered, despite these threats, they continue to open up their mouth and have gospel conversations with people around them. And listen, the reality is, if you want to make an impact in the world around you, the same must be true of us. We must be intentional about opening up our mouths and telling people about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We must be a church that goes from simply doing good works to preaching good news. And by the way, I'm all about good works. We should continue to do good things with our lives. In verse 26, we see that it was in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. What that means is when the world looked at them, they said, these people look so radically different. There's something about them. Who do they remind us of? Oh, they're like a bunch of little Christ. That's what it means by Christians. So when people look at our lives, they should see a life that demands a gospel explanation. But at some point, we don't just do good works. We must share good news. We must have gospel conversations. As many of you know, we made a challenge to our church at the beginning of the year to have gospel conversations with a thousand different people who are far from God. And as of Thursday of this past week, it was reported that we have had gospel conversations with 461 people this year who are either unchurched or not currently following Jesus. 461 people. And I just want to take a moment to celebrate that number and to encourage you to not grow weary in doing good, to continue to share the good news of Jesus with others, to keep planting gospel seeds, to be faithful in having gospel conversations, trusting that when you do, that we will over time begin to see more and more gospel conversions. And that's exactly what we see actually in Antioch, or because these men and women kept telling people about Jesus, we see in verse 21 and then again in verse 24 that it says, many people were added to the Lord. Many people were added to the Lord. Guys, this is why we exist as a church. We did not plant this church to try to just pull disenchanted members from other churches. Um, it is no secret that really is the only churches that are growing in America right now are churches that are growing not with kingdom growth, but transfer growth. In other words, they're growing because people are bored and tired of their old church, and they just want a place with better preaching or better music or better programs. And I'm not saying that's all bad, but listen, Jesus has more for his church in this. Jesus wants to see people actually enter into the kingdom, lives actually passing from death to life, and then plugging into his community and joining the church on mission. The early church understood this. The church in Antioch, there were people committed to having gospel conversations. And as a result, people began to be converted. It's another reason why God used them to impact the world. A third thing we see is this. is not only did God use them because they took God's mission personally and because they had gospel conversations, but we see here's the E. They were a people who were empowered by the Spirit. They were empowered by the Spirit. In verse 21, if you look again with me, it says the hand of the Lord was with them. The hand of the Lord was with them. That's a pretty good bio, isn't it? Like when's the last time when someone introduced you to someone else? They said, I don't know a lot about them, but I know this. The hand of God is with this person. I mean, if that can be said about you, what else even matters? This phrase, the hand of God, it's a phrase that refers to a people who are abiding in and being filled with the Holy Spirit. 
It's a theme that we see woven throughout Acts. And it's a reminder to each of us today that if we want to be a people who are used by God in mighty ways, more than we need great preachers or great programs or dynamic use of music, we desperately need a people who have the hand of God on them. A people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if you hear that and you're like, man, that all sounds good. But how exactly do I do this? Like, how do I personally live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit? That's a good question to ask, right? And I think in order to answer that, you need to remember, first off, that the Holy Spirit is not an it. So make sure you hear that, because I hear people pray, and God, we just pray that you'll send your Holy Spirit and that it would empower us. The Holy Spirit is not an it. We need to repent of that language. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force that you yield in times of need like Luke Skywalker or whatever, right? (laughs) But rather the Holy Spirit, listen, is a person that you have a relationship with. The Holy Spirit is just as much God as God the Father and God the Son. And therefore, when we are talking about the Spirit's power, we're talking about a person's power. Which means if you want access to the Holy Spirit power, you need a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I think one way that I can try to simplify this for you is like this. Um, I see Chris Rose in the crowd. Does that make you nervous, by the way? Like, you don't know where I'm going to go next, right? And so uh, a lot of you know Chris. He comes up here, plays guitar, uh, serves in a lot of other ways in the church. He's in the farm club, which means he's one of the guys in our leadership development uh, course right now. Uh, he also lives two doors down from me. He's part of my missional community. And so last summer, I needed uh, to install a dishwasher. And so uh, the dishwasher was sitting in our garage. I needed help carrying it in and then actually installing it. Now, in that moment, here's what I did not do. I did not sit in front of the dishwasher and be like, okay, I need to harness the power of Chris Rose. Come on, Chris. Like, I need, I need your power to take this in and to, and to install this. I didn't do that. It's weird, right? What I did is I picked up my phone and I called Chris. And I said, hey, man, I can't do this by myself. Would you come and help me? And you know what he did? He came and he helped, and we got the job done. Now, here's my point. It's really simple. Because I have a relationship with the person of Chris Rose, I have access to the power of Chris Rose. (laughs) And the same is true for the Holy Spirit. If you do not have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, if you do not commune with the Spirit as a person, you will never experience the Holy Spirit's power. And so the question then begins to be, I think, hopefully it should be for you, is, okay, well, how do I grow in a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Right? Like, how do I actually fellowship with this person and therefore experience his power? And though there are several ways I could answer this, one of the easiest ways for me to answer it and to, uh, I think one of the easiest ways for you to remember it is to think about the simple math equation. And I don't know if we can put it on the screen for you. I'm not a math guy at all, but anybody can do this math. Uh, Here's what I want you to see is if you want to experience the Holy Spirit's power, you need to realize that it takes holiness plus faith. Holiness plus faith equals power. If you want to grow in your relationship with the Spirit as a person, which as a result gives you access to the Spirit's power, you need to first pursue holiness. Now, if you can be honest, most of us probably wish that's not a part of the formula. But if you want a relationship with the Holy Spirit, plain and simple, you have to pursue a holy life. Which is another way of me saying you have to pursue God. You actually have to want God, and not just here on Sunday, but throughout every day of your life. I want to pursue God. 
And one of the greatest ways that we pursue God and try to cultivate a relationship with him is through what we call the spiritual disciplines, um, which is, you know, prayer and fasting, reading scripture, plugging into community, confession, sin, confessing sin. I would encourage you, if you guys want to learn to, to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit and therefore experience his power, you need to start your day by doing what we call winning the day. Do not put your phone right by your bed, wake up, and then go, let me see what's on Facebook. Let me see who texted me. Let me see what emails I got. Start your day with Jesus. Start your day in Scripture. Start your day in prayer. And then cry out to God throughout the day. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Fill your life with things that stir your heart towards God. But then realize, listen, not just do we need to fill our lives with good things, but if we want to experience the Spirit's power, we have to get bad things out of our life. We have to remove sin from within us. Um, the scripture talks about, I believe it's in Ephesians, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the Spirit, please hear me out. Did you know the Spirit's natural tendency is to want to pour out his power in your life? That's not, he, he is not like trying to withhold it from you. He wants to pour it out in you. Do you know why he doesn't? It's because every time we sin, even though he's running through like a stream of water or like a river, what we do is basically when we sin, we put a dam up to try to block his power from running through our life. We grieve the Holy Spirit. And so in order to keep from grieving the Holy Spirit, we need to repent when it comes to our sexuality or how we handle our money or, or bitterness that we're holding towards somebody, right? We need to cut these things out. And again, look, none of this is ultimately for the purpose of obeying rules, but it's about cultivating a relationship, a relationship with a God who is holy. So we need to pursue holiness. Secondly, we need to walk in faith. Plain and simple, if you want to be a person who lives a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, you have to take some risk. You have to move outside of your comfort zone. You have to do things beyond your power. When someone is sick, right, and you feel prompted, you need to actually need to pray that God will heal them right there. You need to actually walk across the street and talk to that neighbor. You need to serve in that way. You need to give that word of encouragement, whatever it is. And whenever you do this, when you pursue holiness and you seek to walk in faith, you will discover that no matter who or where you go, or though it may look different than what you think, what you will discover is the hand of God will be with you. And he will move in ways that I promise you only he can get the credit for. Finally, as we look at them, what we see is they not only took God's mission personally, they not only had gospel conversations, they not only live empowered by the Holy Spirit, but finally, they met the needs of others. In verse 27 through 30, again, I want to read it to you. It says, Now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. So the disciples determined everyone according to his own ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Because the people in Antioch, unlike our very individualistic culture, believed that truly they were sons and daughters of God, and therefore this is my brother and this is my sister, when an opportunity arose to meet the needs of people in Jerusalem who were experiencing a famine, rather than, the, and think about this, rather than the people in Antioch saying, wait a minute, man, like we got our own issues. We've lost our home. We've lost our jobs. Rather than that, in the midst of their own crisis, because these people had been so radically transformed by the gospel and believed that now they were a part of a family, when needs arose, they were quick to meet those needs, to give whatever they could in order to make sure the mission of God could go forward. 
Tim Keller, in his commentary on this, said the following. The early church was strikingly different from the culture around it in this way. Think about this. The pagan society, this is so much like our society today. The pagan society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. A pagan gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. When the Christians came along, they gave practically nobody their body and practically everybody their money. You know what I love about this image? It's an image of a people who are practicing financial promiscuity. It's awesome. It's like it's a people that literally can't keep their wallet in their pants. That's what Keller is saying here. I mean, it is a people who honestly are just going around looking for people to give to, looking for needs. Like, isn't that amazing? And I want you to say, like, like, who's a better neighbor? The guy or the gal who's constantly like wanting to sleep with your spouse and won't do anything to help you or the person who's radically committed to their covenant relationship and will give you whatever they can whenever you need it. Who's a better neighbor? Who's someone that's going to make you look and say, why are you the way that you are? This was one of the things that made the first century Christians so radically countercultural. And I pray that as a church, the same would be true of us. Whether it be tithing to the local church, seeking to meet practical needs of those around you, showing up rather than showing up empty-handed to your MC meal, showing up with a meal. I pray that, man, that we would be a church that is so countercultural. We are a people who, rather than being financially stingy and sexually promiscuous, that we would be sexually stingy. We wouldn't be looking at porn. We wouldn't be chasing after people who's not our spouse. And that we would be a financially promiscuous people. That would be awesome. That we would seek to be a people who not only want to meet the spiritual needs of others, but we seek to meet the practical needs of the mission of God can go forward. So as we end this morning, listen, I want to say this again. We may never be a Paul, we may never be a Peter, may never be a John, but we can be them. You can be them. Which means you can be an ordinary person that God does extraordinary things through. Don't let the enemy convince you otherwise today. You can take God's mission personally. You can realize that you are where you are, not because you made some bad mistakes in the past and now your life's on plan B, or because you just worked really, really hard and you put yourself there, but that God puts you there for mission. You can take God's mission personally. You can have gospel conversations. You can do this. You can begin to open up your mouth and tell people about Jesus and what he's done for you and what he's done for them. You can be empowered by the Holy Spirit. You can pursue holiness. You can step out in faith. And then finally, you can meet the needs of others with what little you may have. If we will do this, if we will do this, though we may not ever see the fruit of our labor in this life, you will make your life count for eternity. And one day you will see all the incredible ways that God used your short life to make such an incredible impact in the lives of other people. I want us to be very careful as a church. I've been thinking about this this past week. I want us to be very careful to not get caught up in how the world defines success. I really think we need to crucify this word successful and just be a people who try to be faithful. To just be the faithful them. Trusting that through the Holy Spirit that God will turn our faithfulness into a fruitfulness that will be for the world's good and ultimately for his glory. You know, um, every week we partake of communion. And this week what I want you to remember is this. As you partake of communion, before God ever called us to take his mission personally, he took the mission personally. 
You realize Christianity is the only religion in the world that teaches rather than God saying that now you've got to work your way to me because of your sinfulness. God worked his way to us. Isn't that awesome? He came on a rescue mission. Before God ever called us to have gospel conversations, he came and had the gospel conversation. The Bible says when Jesus came to earth, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom. He told us how to have forgiveness and freedom and salvation and satisfaction that we are longing for. And then he came and he lived a spirit-empowered life, empowering him to live a perfect, sinless life that we could never live, fulfilling the righteous requirement of God. And then he went to the cross, and he went there not only to meet our physical needs, but our deepest need. And so this morning, as you come and you partake of the communion, we have two stations in the front, two in the back, and a gluten-free option for you if you want it there. Even if you're not a member of the church, we invite you to come and remember that reality and tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice. But if you're here today, please hear me. If you're here today and you are not a Christian, uh, if you've never received the Spirit of God, if you can be honest today and you can say, man, if you look at my life, I've never really wanted to pursue God. I've wanted to give him my afterlife, but I didn't want to give him this life. I pray that today is the day of salvation for you. Uh, next week, we get to have another baptism service. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. And so we've got five or six more people we're going to baptize next week. And so, man, it'd be awesome to add your name to that list. Yeah. And maybe someone today, if you can be honest, you would have to say that, man, you may have religion, but you do not have a relationship with God. And I want you to know there is nothing holding you back from that today except for your own pride, your own willingness to not come to Jesus with the empty hands of faith. And so we would ask you today, if you're not a Christian, don't partake of communion. We got the bread from Walmart and the juice, I would imagine. Is that right, Steve? So there's nothing special about it in itself. We just take it as a symbol of hope of what's already happened. So rather than receiving communion today, receive Christ. And if you want more information about that or what that looks like, uh, I'll be up here in the front. And Luke's around here. He'll probably be up here in the front. We'd love to talk with you. Chuck's back there in the very back for those of you that just want to go to the back. And so, um, yeah, we'd love to chat with you about that. So that being said, let's stand together as the band comes forward. I'm going to pray for us. We'll sing another song uh, and partake of communion and then we'll be done today. Let's pray. Yeah, Father, I thank you so much for every person who is in this room. I thank you for those of us that you have already called to yourself and that you've invited to be a part of this mission. I pray against attacks from the enemy. There are some here right now who honestly just really do not expect you to do great things in them and through them. And I pray that today they would realize that that is a lie from the enemy. And I pray that truly, God, they would experience you in deeper ways than ever before in this year in their life. And as a result, you would use them, God, to draw more people who are far from you into a relationship with you. If there's anybody here who right now who does not, um, who if they were to die to die there today, they would go to hell, they would spend an eternity apart from you. I pray the Holy Spirit that you would open up their heart right now to see the beauty of who you are and that they would trust everything to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray and ask these things. Amen.